Well, my name is Greg. I'm the Youth and Children's Director here at Sunrise, and I get to be a part of the teaching team. And uh, before we get too far into it, um, I want to uh, let you guys know we have this cool thing happening. Um, we have, a number of years ago, got some cool Sunrise shirts and that little patch and all that stuff, and uh, we've been getting some requests by a few of you to uh, get some new ones, and so these are the new shirts that we're going to be getting. Uh, we're not trying to pitch this. This isn't a merchandise or anything like that. We're just simply saying uh, these are available uh, at cost. Uh, we don't want any of the money for it. Um, so there's sign-ups on the outside. You can sign up for one. Make sure you reserve yours. What color you want. We got a navy blue and a gray. Uh, real simple, but it's just a cool way uh, to, to wear those when we go out to places, when we um, do the Imago outreach or anything else like that. It's just a great thing that we can wear and kind of sport our church and, and all that good stuff. So those are available if you like it. If not, we won't judge you. You know, we won't, you know, bash your fa fashion sense or anything like that. So I uh, just want to let you guys, the guys know that that's available to you. Uh, the next thing is that uh, our children and worship time is now, and so kids from three years old up to fifth grade can go out and hear God's word and uh, really be able to uh, understand it on their terms. And so we just thank you for all the teachers that uh, volunteer and do that. And, and if you uh, would like as parents to just check it out, we invite you to, to go back there as well and, and see what they're doing. And it's just a great and awesome time. I want to pray for us as we get started on our message today. Uh, we're continuing through the, the kingdom of God, and uh, we're just going to jump right in here in a second. But yeah, will you join me in prayer as we get ready to hear from God's word? God, I thank you so much that you have a new word for us each and every day. God, that you have fresh mercies, fresh joy, fresh everything, God. And God, I pray right now that you would refresh us today as we hear from your word. Help us to hear what you have for us, that you would uh, transform our lives because of the text here today. Thank you that your word, the Bible, is alive and well, that you are alive and well, and you use it to speak into our lives. And God, I just pray that we would be uh, soft-hearted, that we would hear your word and allow it to resonate in our hearts and be transformed because of it. Thank you so much that you love us, that you're never done with us, and that you're constantly uh, caring for us, even when we don't even notice it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So like I said, we've been going through this series of the kingdom of God, and uh, we've been doing it now for a little bit, and the whole idea was that uh, the kingdom of God is present through the entire Bible. It's not just something that Jesus brought up and everyone was like, whoa, where'd this come from? Uh, but it was actually being talked about all the way from Genesis, and it'll be talked about in Revelation, and uh, you'll, you'll see little snapshots. And so we've been going the last several weeks and just kind of seeing uh, little moments where you see it highlighted or, or you see it progressed or anything like that. And obviously, this is an extensive study. We couldn't hit every part. We would have to do like several years of a, of a study a series on that, and I think uh, all of us would be like, we get it, it's important, right? Like, <laughs> we'd maybe get a little tired of that, um, but it's just been cool to kind of see these little snapshots of how we see it's developing, how it's being talked about, how we can become a part of it, all of those cool things, and so uh, we started in Genesis. We started at creation. We started with the fact that uh, God created everything, and his power is on full display, and he was there with his people, Adam and Eve, in a specific place. And uh, it was just this uh, great, like, start to everything. 
God's kingdom, right there, in perfection. And we've been using uh, uh, an author, Patrick Sh- uh, Schreiner, to kind of help us to, uh, to, to talk about this well. We read through his book, The Kingdom of God, um, and, which is about the kingdom of God. I know that's a real big stretch for the title. I don't know where you got that, but um, this is kind of how he helped us to define what the kingdom of God is. He says, the kingdom is the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. And so that's kind of how we're looking for the kingdom of God. Those three attributes have to be present where we can say there is the kingdom of God. God's power over his people in the king's place. And so, like I said, we started in in the garden. We saw it there in perfection. And uh, the problem, though, happened is that God's people started to rebel. God had given them an opportunity. He said, you can eat of any tree that you want to in the garden, but there's one tree you should not eat of, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that one, but you can eat from anything else. And in that garden, even, is the tree of life, where they could eat and just have eternal life. They could live forever with God. But instead of uh, wanting to just live under God's authority, his kingship, they decided, you know what, we want something else. And so they went to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they ate from that because they wanted to judge for themselves what it meant to be good, what it meant to be evil. They wanted the authority. They wanted the kingship themselves. They didn't want to be under the king. They wanted to be the king. And of course, sin came into our nature as human beings. We started to become sinful people, and we started to degrade. And what's interesting is as you track that story again, we see in Exodus, uh, Moses going to Egypt, and he's going there to free the people of God. And what we see when this is happening is God's kingdom is coming against uh, the, the human kingdom. Actually, Egypt at that time was the superpower of the world. And so we were seeing this clash of God's kingdom versus human's kingdom and whose kingdom is mightier. God tears up uh, the Egyptian kingdom. Uh, he tears it down and so much so that they, they, they are humble. They, they, they uh, let God's people go with blessing And so God's kingdom reigns supreme. And we have been slowly going through the Old Testament, kind of highlighting moments where we see the prophets talk about the kingdom of God. We talked about it through the Psalms and all those moments. And so we've been seeing how the kingdom of God is coming. And last week, Pastor Russ brought us into the New Testament with Jesus and uh, talked about the fact that Jesus was uh, teaching all the time about the kingdom of God. And his miracles uh, a lot of times talked about or or showed the kingdom of God and God's power. And uh, he highlighted something interesting that I want us to, to highlight is the fact that each of the gospels talk about an attribute of the kingdom of God in, in a very unique way. He said, uh, Matthew's gospel focuses on the place of the kingdom of God. Mark focuses on the power. Luke focuses on the people of God. And John, John's always unique. John seems to be focused on what life is like in the kingdom of God. That's why, if if you remember, uh, at the beginning of this year when we spoke through the, or taught through the gospel of John, uh, you'll see moments where he's sharing the narrative, sharing what's happening in the gospel, but then he kind of inserts himself in that narrative and says, this is what's happening, right? He's kind of pulling back the curtain for his audience, and so uh, John has a very unique perspective in that sense. And I invite you to go back to last week. and listen to, to Russ's sermon if you didn't catch it, but it was just, he'll kind of explain more of the reasoning. I don't want to repeat him, but 
uh, just the reasoning why each of those kind of have that um, take. As Jesus himself uh, is also God with his people, with his power in that current place, uh, Jesus is the embodiment of the kingdom. He's the one bringing the kingdom, but he himself is also the kingdom. Which is why when we turn to Luke 18, verses 20 through 21, uh, Jesus is uh, talking to some Pharisees, and they kind of ask him a question about it. And so this is what that says. It says, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the, king, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is not like a location that you're going to go and, and visit or have vacation in or go like just get a t-shirt of. Uh, it, it's not something that you're going to go to. The kingdom of God is different. He says it's in your midst. It's, it's in your people. It's in the, in, in, with you guys. And what's interesting is that that word there, midst, in the original Greek, it's intos. Uh, which could be translated as like in your midst, like among you, or it could also be translated as inside you. Um, and so for some of you, your translations will say the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus is saying that it's not a land, it's not a place that you're going to go visit, it's something different. And so what he's saying is the kingdom of God is where the people are. There's a special connection when it comes to the kingdom of God. It's not a location, it's a people. It's something where wherever you guys are, wherever God's people are, that can be the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is the king's power over the king's people and king's place. Jesus provides that when he's there on earth, but there's a problem. See, the people at that time, they were seeing the kingdom of God because Jesus was there, but they themselves were not truly citizens of the kingdom of God yet. They were kind of outsiders of it. They got to see it, but they were not a part of it quite yet. And the reason for that is because to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, you must kind of fulfill some roles. Some, some things have to be checked off, just like in any citizenship. You got to have some things, you know, done, some paperwork done, all that stuff. Um, not necessarily for the kingdom of God, but for the kingdom of God, you have to be holy, perfect, sinless. And we were anything but that. See, to be sinless, you had to have never done anything wrong in your entire life. And then if you had done that, if you checked that box on the application, then you were good to go. You were part of the kingdom. And no one in the history of humanity had ever done that except one. And so Jesus was the only one who was truly a part of the kingdom of God in that sense. And so uh, they, they, no one else could be uh, that, or live that holy life, live that perfect life. God, through his law, had many times shown to us the fact that this is what it takes to be a citizen. And he had laid out the laws, and, and the laws constantly highlighted to us how we failed, how we messed up. And that's kind of the point of them. It was not that anyone in humanity could truly live up to those standards, but it was just there to reveal to us our sin nature, that we were wrong, and that we needed a Savior, and that the Messiah was going to be that Savior. So the problem is that no one could truly become a part of the kingdom of God on their own. They needed that Savior. Jesus is that Savior. What we find interesting, though, is Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God 
But in order for him to bring the kingdom of God, what we're going to see is uh, what looks like the defeat of the kingdom of God. We're going to see it look like that Jesus is going to give up almost every attribute of the kingdom of God. And so uh, Jesus, when he is captured by the religious leaders and given a false trial, handed over to the Roman governor uh, of the Israelite people, of the Jewish people, his name was Pilate, and the religious leaders, they tell him uh, that Jesus, he needs to die. He needs to go. He's a problem. And, and Pilate many times is asking them, well, what's the problem? What did he do? And they're just like, well, um, we gave him to you, so obviously something bad is kind of their statement. And uh, they don't really give him an answer. So Pilate is left in this place of trying to figure out what the problem is. And so that's going to be our main text today. Uh, John 18, verses 33 through 40. You can turn your Bibles there. As we kind of read through this conversation that Pilate and Jesus have. And this is what the Word of God says. It says, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to pre uh, prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jewish gathered out there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. So to understand some of the, the questioning that Pilate is doing, basically Pilate goes to him and he's asking him, are you a king? Are you trying to assert yourself as the king? And what he's asking is, is he going to be a troublemaker? Is he trying to make an uprising against the Roman government? Because to, the, uh, to everyone there, all the Romans, Caesar was king. Caesar was basically God. Caesar was the leader of his people. He was the mighty champion, and he was everything. And so he's asking, are you going against Caesar here? Are you trying to bring the Roman government down? Is that what you're trying to do? Are you trying to do an uprising here? What's going on? And uh, Jesus, interesting, doesn't say, yeah, I'm a king. Instead, he doesn't assert himself as king at all. He just simply says, my kingdom is like this. Jesus, through his entire life, is constantly preaching the coming of the kingdom of God. And even up at this point, when asked if he's a king, he just again preaches the coming of the kingdom of God. So he doesn't say he's a king. He just continues to preach the good news of the coming of the kingdom of God. Now, Pilate, in verse 37, thinks he's catching on, and he says, uh, you are king then. And Jesus answered, you say that I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is the foundation of truth. Understanding where the true kingdom is and where it comes from is what we get all truth from. He says, if you want to know truth, you got to know the kingdom because that's the foundation of my kingdom 
his truth. Now, Pilate's uh, answer back is very political, right? He says, what is truth? I was like, man, he could be rubbing, <laughs> rubbing for Congress right now. Um, what is truth? Um, and and it's, it's funny because that question is actually so much larger than he realizes. What is truth? Now, remember, humanity in Genesis 3 has set out to gain knowledge of good and evil. We rejected the tree of life, God's authority over our lives in the garden, and we wanted to set out to understand things for ourselves. And so we choose to build our own way of life where we can make judgments between right and wrong, where we can trust our own judgment. So here's the test for humanity coming up. All right, here's the test. Have we learned anything in the last thousands of years? Are, are we going to get it? Have we figured out how to tell right from wrong? Pilate goes to God's chosen people and asks them to make a judgment on who deserves freedom and who deserves death. Do we have that knowledge of good and evil? Have we attained the ability to do right? Uh, thousands of years of development God has even been giving us help along the way, giving, his, uh, giving us his law constantly. Have we uh, been willing to listen to it? Well, as we remember, not too much. But, you know, uh, have we gotten it? Who's guilty and who's holy? We'll read in verse 39 through 40. It says that Pilate went back to them and he asked them who they wanted to release for Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Now, Scripture tells us constantly, over and over again, Jesus was sinless. He never sinned, not even once. He was pure and holy. He lived a perfect life. He was the only one that could go to heaven and, and, and be a, kingdom, a part of the kingdom of God all on his own. He, he never sinned, never messed up, not even once. And as he stands in front of human judgment... In all of our wisdom and moral evolution and knowledge of good and evil, we see innocence and are so frustrated by it that we condemn it to death. We can't stand God's innocence. And so we sentence it to death. We would rather free a criminal. Luke actually tells us that, he wasn't, uh, that Barabbas wasn't just an upriser. He wasn't just trying to overthrow the kingdom, but he actually murdered people. So we free a murderer, a known murderer, a known troublemaker, and, and condemn to death a known innocent man. Jesus himself, even one time, amongst people who uh, were accusing him, that were frustrated and were angry with him, he said, what have I done? How have I sinned? Show me how I have sinned. And not one of them could come up with one thing. He was even around his family. Let me tell you, if you want to know your sins, ask your family. Jesus did, and they still couldn't come up with anything. That's proof to me, right? I stand in front of my mom and like, I never sinned much. She'd be like, boy, you know, Jesus did it, and she had nothing. I, that, that's, that's divine, right? We condemned a free, sinless man and freed a murderer. That was our statement. That was our judgment. What we see from this point on is something that looks like the defeat of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. 
Well, we're going to see in Matthew 26 through 36 through 46, I'm just going to kind of give us a little snapshot of what's happening there. It's when Jesus, it's right before he is uh, um, arrested, he goes to the garden and he's praying to God and he's praying about what's going to happen to him. And it says that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow. He was worried about what was coming next to the point where he asked the father if there was another way for them to do this. He was going to a place that, by all sense, did not look like a place for a king. See, kings belong on thrones, not crosses. But that is where he is headed. So he's not going to a place that he wants to go. Both Mark uh, 14.50 and Matthew 26.56 highlight the fact that Jesus' disciples, they disappeared. They deserted him. God's people left him. And then in Mark 15, 16 through 20, this one we will read through, it's going to talk, Mark is going to highlight the fact of how Jesus' power is not being taken a hold of. It says, the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace and called uh, together a whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they uh, paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off his purple robe and put uh, put on his own clothes on him. And they led him out to be crucified. Jesus does not take hold of the power that he has. He doesn't at that moment call down a legion of angels, as he says in other places that he could do. He doesn't take hold of the power that he has available to him. In fact, he gives up his power. So as we look at this, as we look at this scene of everything he's walking through, it looks like he has no power, no people, and no place. But what's amazing is what what humanity meant for destruction, death, and shame, God flips to be the very moment of Jesus' coronation. It's at that moment that you see Jesus' glory shine all the brighter. Instead of just a a moment of death for Jesus, what we see at the very end in John 19.30, Jesus is hanging on the cross. the, The time is almost done. And Jesus says this. He says, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed and his head gave up, bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus' work was done. He had done what he had came to do, what he sought out to do. He had what he really had done is he had died for our sins and had made a way for us as sinners to be reconnected with God, to be readopted into the family, to be reestablished as citizens of the kingdom of God. That is what he had done. It's what he had set out to do, and he accomplished it. What's awesome is that he did this, and he establishes the relationship that, we, that, w- that was broken back in Genesis. He reestablishes that same quality of relationship that we originally were meant to have. The cross is no longer a place of defeat, but a victory. In fact, we can see the cross now as a new tree of life. Uh, that was brought down to us by God himself, sent down from heaven to provide a new way for us to live. 
I think it's so fitting that three days after he uh, uh, died on the cross, he raises to life, and, and one of the first people that meets him mistakes him as a gardener. They, that's who they think that he is. And I think there's something so beautiful about that that says that, yeah, because in a way he was planting the new tree of life that would feed us and grow us and transform us. And so he was, in a sense, a gardener. He, he plants that in our lives, and it starts to affect us. The new tree of life provides the fruit to transform our lives and our communities as well. From this point on, the kingdom of God is different than it was before. It is here spreading through earth. Uh, read with me now the Great Commission with the kingdom mind, a kingdom in mind. That's uh, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20. And just listen for this. Uh, for the kingdom of God, it says, Then Jesus came to them, his people, and said, All authority, power, in heaven and earth, the place, has been given to me, the king. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, the place, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, oh, the power. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I, the king, am with you always, his people, to the very end of the age. Oh man, he attained the kingdom and now he gives it to his disciples. And says, go out of my power to my places with my people and share the kingdom of God. Spread it with the people around you. God is sending his people out to demonstrate his power in the new places of the earth. We are called to bring the good news to the people around us. What's awesome is uh, as we look at Revelation uh, verse, uh, or chapter 22, verse 2, it's talking about the new Jerusalem, the new city. And it talks about the tree of life there. In verse 2, it says, Down the middle of the, uh, middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood three, uh, or the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are there for the healing of the nations. The good news of the kingdom of God is there to help heal the nations. The tree of life, the cross, is there to heal the nations. You want to know what our nation needs now more than anything? It's Jesus. You know what our state needs now more than anything? It's Jesus. You know what our city, our downtown community, our schools, our families, us, me, each one of us, what we need most right now is Jesus in our lives to be our king. And he is. The kingdom of God is God's power over God's people and God's place. And we see Jesus' followers now living by God's power in community with God's people in God's place. We see that here in Tulare, in Tulare County. We now experience to be, a, we are now a part of that experience of being the kingdom of God. So I have two questions for you that I want, to, I want you to think through this week. And the first one is this. Do you understand Jesus as your king? Have you submitted your life to him as king over your entire life? You understand that he died on the cross for you and made the way for you to live a new and transformed life. That you don't have to allow your sins and your past to define you anymore. You now have a new way to live. 
He adopts you into his family as his sons and daughters. That's what he gives to us. That's the gift he gives to us. Is he king over your life and over your whole life? How is he king over your family, the way that you parent or the way that you kids relate to your parents or brothers and sisters or whoever in your family? How is he king over your life? How is he king over your relationships? How is he king over your choices of your free time or your money or just any of those things? How is he king over those things? How are you thinking about God being uh, glorified through every aspect of your life? I, I, I think that the more that we start to understand that if we were just to help God to, or allow to be submitted to God's kingship in every part of our life, what we'll find is actually more freedom in our life. That he gives us true freedom. So how is he king over your life is my first question. My second question is this. How are you sharing the good news of the kingdom with those people around you? I'm deeply convicted on this, that God has placed certain people in each one of your life specifically so that you can share the kingdom of God with them. There are people right next to you in your, in your job and in, in, in just in your friend group. Uh, there are just people around you that God has placed strategically because he's very strategic. He's extremely smart God. He's placed people around you for you to show the kingdom of God to them. I, I, I've highlighted this to the youth several times. And yes, parents, I even highlight you, that your kids are supposed to show the kingdom of God to you. Uh, the tip jar is on my desk as you uh, go out. You're welcome. But how can you be that light to those people around you? How can you share God's love with them so they can see a glimpse to get hungry for the kingdom of God? It's when God's people highlight God's power with his people in the places that they are, that he is glorified, that his kingdom stretches out, and our nation can get what they need. They can get Jesus. I invite you to start to pay attention. Maybe this week that you would just simply say a prayer of, God, show me who to be like you to in my life. Who have you put next to me that I need to show you to? Help my eyes to see him in a fresh new way. That's, that's my challenge for you to pray that prayer. It's a hard prayer, because sometimes it's that person you don't want to talk to. It's that person that underneath your breath you say, they need Jesus. But how amazing would it be for us to actually start praying for that person to meet Jesus than just simply to say that? Oh, the power of prayer. And I think that could start to transform our lives and the lives around us if we would just pray like we know we should. Whatever it is, However, the Holy Spirit starts to work in your heart and transform your hearts and mind. I want to I remind you of this. Jesus is king. The tomb is empty. The day has been won. And that's what gives us hope. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are alive and well. That right now I don't speak to a memory, but I speak to you, a person, who is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus, I pray right now that you would help us to hear uh, your word, that you're speaking into our hearts right now, Holy Spirit, that you would put that person in our mind, or you would put that thing that we need to submit to you and say that you are king over this aspect of my life. Whatever it is, God, I just pray that you would help us to take that next step towards you. Thank you that you never give up on us. 
You never gave up on humanity. No matter how many times we messed it up, you kept having new grace and kept the plan to, to redeem us, to bring us back to you. And I thank you for your patience and your love. And God, I pray right now that you would help us that as we pray your prayer of the Lord's Prayer, that we would pray it knowing that you have always been teaching us, teaching us how to pray, how to live, and how to grow. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be saying the Lord's Prayer. Um, do we have that?